All right, this is Chris Malay, and welcome to the LDT 835 podcast. On today's episode, I'll interview Rebecca Heiser. She is a learning designer on my team here at World Campus Learning Design. And what I wanted to do in this conversation is give you a sense of what a professional learning designer does on a day-to-day basis and how they think about their jobs. Uh, And in particular, how they approach working on a team, um, strategies for having productive relationships with a subject matter expert, which is really at the core of what they're doing on a regular basis. Uh, and then also because Rebecca has a pretty interesting uh, professional background and, and some interesting uh, interests, um, how she draws from those experiences in the course of thinking about her design. So, so for you, I challenge you to think about how all these different factors about how she approaches her job and the people she works with, how those things shape the design decisions that she makes. And imagine how a course that is actually being taught at Penn State right now uh, in in many ways uh, will, will reflect her personality and the organizations she works in. And, and that's an important thing to think about because as you do this kind of work, um, you're going to draw from your own experiences and from the context in in which you work. And it's important to understand how those things shape the design that you do. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, so we're joined today by Rebecca Heiser. Uh, Rebecca is a learning designer within World Campus Learning Design and responsible for um, programs within the uh, College of Education, um, and uh, and generally speaking, across this course, what we're trying to do is provide a bunch of different perspectives um, throughout the learning design uh, the learning design process, including you know the actual pedagogy and the design of courses, as well as the business and the um, you know, and, and, and things related to the growth of, of online learning and, and emerging technologies and, and all sorts of things. And I think that Rebecca will provide an interesting perspective for us um, because she has an interesting, diverse background and and uh, and, uh, and I think some good ideas about how effective learning design is done. So, so thanks for joining, Rebecca. Thanks for having me, Chris. Okay, so why don't we get started? Uh, because I, because as I mentioned, you have an interesting background. Um, uh, t- tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your you know educations and sort of professional interests, and maybe previous jobs you've had. Sure. Uh, so my background is actually, as far as my education background, is in history and art history. I uh, was initially thinking I wanted to be a, a high school history teacher, but uh, throughout the course of my studies and my undergraduate program, I, I really felt more academically challenged um, uh, studying history. And, and I also have always had a really um, longstanding interest in art and had always considered possibly being an artist or a graphic designer when I, when I was going to grow up. Um, so, so with that, with that mixture, um, after college, I actually went to, um, and I went to school down in Georgia. So I went to the high museum of art as my first, uh, full-time job after college. And I was working in the, um, in the director's office there and, and got to meet some really, um, 
monumental artists and uh, like uh, Andrew Wyeth and, and his family. And um, so really, really got a, an awesome immersive experience and, and really still liked being a part of the arts community. I still had um, a lot of interest in history. Uh, shortly after working at the High Museum, I, I started working at the National History Museum there in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and I really enjoyed working um, kind of in, in still in this educational realm, but also still um, able to, to work within my interests. Um, as I was working in the museums, I, I started to gather that I, I really wanted to focus uh, my attention back to education. And I ended up working for a um, nonpartisan government nonprofit organization. And I was uh, specifically the uh, lead of professional development for K-12 school improvement initiatives. And this was back at a time when the Common Core uh, standards were starting to roll out across the country. Uh, so there was a lot of professional development happening with school districts across the nation, and, and I was uh, lucky to be a part of that. Um, but as I was working at that organization, I also um, went back to grad school, and I went and, and really wanted to focus my efforts in learning technology. I was really interested in distance education and how to provide professional development to educators who are, um, you know, working in, in rural environments, may not have the travel budget at the time. This is also during the recession. Uh, so distance education and professional development really became uh, a linchpin in how um, a lot of these educators could get uh, their, their credits and, and continue their professional growth. Um, so that was really what led me into distance ed and, and my grad school studies. Uh, I went to school in Pepperdine, which is in beautiful Malibu, California, and really got a nice perspective of what was happening um, in, you know, in, in California, Get, got a West Coast uh, perspective on things. Um, in my studies there, we, we were really looking at coming up with innovative ideas and user experience. And, and um, it really kind of led me to, to have this, this, get an idea of, of what it would be like if I worked for a startup. <laughs> so uh, shortly after, um, I went on this whimsical journey to work for a EdTech startup group that was focused on um, training and retention for corporate professionals. Um, and so I kind of tried to get some, some footing really on what was happening in the industry because I had always had a long standing interest in um, the knowledge paths that happen between you know, our K-12 formalized education, um, what we proceed to do after that, whether it's college or um, other professional interests, if it's hands-on, and then also looking at the training that happens on the job. So, you know, how does how do these um, pedagogies, how do these techniques change depending on um, where we're, what industry or, or what um, discipline or area that we're focusing on? Um, I, I feel like IDs in general, like uh, as as I started um, really in you know, focusing on what I want to do in my career, I feel like instructional design is really in the business of 
of creating these um, refined and, and intensified forms of experience. And I always feel like we still are in a place to aesthetically create and simulate reflective learning experiences for um, our student population. So I feel like all of these things are somehow aligned with one another. Um, mm -hmm. But I really feel like instructional designers typically come through a very windy, um, unprescribed path <laughs> to, where, to, uh, to our current positions. Yeah, and that was going to be my follow-up question was just, is that variety of a professional background typical in your experience of, of learning designers? And, and does it provide like a particular value in providing... In, in being a strong instructional designer? I think it does. Um, I, I feel like we all wear many hats, whether it's project management or it's um, ed tech, or if it's uh, just user experience design, I think we all have various interests. Um, I also have noticed that a lot of institutions are starting to develop instructional design programs. So I feel like I'm maybe a part of this older <laughs> generation or this old guard of instructional design. Um, instructional design is now being taught in undergraduate programs. So I feel like moving forward, um, there's probably going to be a shift in, in, that, mm -hmm. in that path that we take. So some, some mix in this field of, of, uh, of, of people going into the going into a instructional design type of a job, going through more of a more traditional path through one of these sort of uh, established programs, versus you know what a lot of the people that work within World Campus Learning Design have K twelve teaching backgrounds, for instance. That we'll still see a mix of that, but you're going to see a lot more people coming out of established programs like we have here at Penn State, for instance. Yes, definitely. Um, so just dig into to the the job a little bit because I think that this is what we want to do for for this part of the course um, is is really understand the 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 meat of what what it's like to be an instructional designer um, and I think that a good place to start with that is is if you could describe your relationship with with faculty with the the, the who are really your key partners in any, in any course design sort of project that you're that you're working on and what are some of the things that uh that generally speaking i think within higher education or corporate or other environments that you that you've been in what are some things that make a an, an instructional designer or subject matter expert relationship particularly productive and successful sure i mean those partnerships are really dynamic and unique um i think we coming in, we're both um, share professional backgrounds in education, uh, but they're slightly diverse or a little bit, um, they work typically in separate domains. So I think though we work in a similar landscape and context, we have to at least identify that we both have different levels of expertise. Um, and I think once, once you can recognize that, um, working with your faculty, um, or your course author, or your SME, um, um, once you can, can identify what the strengths are that you're bringing to the table, it also it usually leads to 
some level of successful collaboration. And I think that's the biggest part of that is the partnership needs to be collaborative. There also needs to be um, kind of a flattening of the power of the relationship dynamics. So just recognizing um, what each member is contributing to the collaboration, also trying to define a, a shared language helps really facilitate those conversations. Um, but I think as an instructional designer, uh, not only are you bringing a collaborative, uh, you know, approach to to your design, but it's also when you're communicating, you need to take into consideration um, persuasion and negotiation skills, um, just to ensure that uh, that your recommendations. And, and I think a lot of times instructional designers really sit more as a consultant, so when you're having these these conversations negotiation and persuasion are, are really key um, to ensuring that you're designing uh, you know a a really immersive and um, academically rigor learning experience mm-hmm. and i think that when online learning started or at least became more prevalent the a lot of times the instructional designer and this is at penn state the the id job profiles located under IT, and it was really looked at as uh, somebody who helped faculty get their cor- put their courses online, and it was a pretty mechanical process of, you know, creating websites, basically, and with a little bit of an educational background, and now it's much more of a, you know, they're the, at least in, within world campus, and probably pretty much anywhere, you have to have a master's degree or oftentimes a PhD to get these types of jobs, um, so that that dynamic between faculty and the instructional designer, given the sort of evolution of the field, it does it definitely changes the types of conversations you're having together. You're not it's a, not an entirely a your role to sort of get the directives from the faculty member and and then you go off and create websites. You actually are engaging with them on discussions about pedagogy that you might have a strong feeling about the right way that things need to be taught. And like you said, you need to persuade that, that individual that based upon your extensive education and learning theory, that this is the right way to to move forward. And I think you also need to look for teachable moments, right? Like, like these conversations should not just be about the course build. They should also have, um, like an embedded uh, faculty development nature to them, ways that you can be providing them tips and, and information along the way on, on how they can um, possibly teach the course or things that they may want to take back to their courses um, in a face-to-face environment. A lot of these um, instructional design principles are quite universal, whether you're designing in distance education or, or in a face-to-face context. Um, I mean, and to that regard, they're, they're not always. There's definitely affordances in both environments. But if you can um, add value to those collaborative conversations, that also really helps um, strengthen the relationship. So, so that's interesting. And that, you know, some of that's going to come over time as you have successes and challenges in those sort of relationships. I want to expand this out. This is the, you know, the probably the number one key relationship that you would have as an instructional designer. What are some of the other types of people that you interact on a day-to-day basis 
trying to get trying to get your course development work done on a timely basis and in a quality manner? What are some of the different types of jobs that you interact with? Sure. I think we're really fortunate at Penn State um, World Campus Learning Design and the fact that we work with a, a large workshop of, of collaborative and um, specialty uh, people across our teams. So I work hand-in-hand with instructional production specialists, and this person helps um, a lot of times brainstorm solutions with me. Uh, They're working hand-in-hand on our programs, Um, so they're very much informed about um, the consistencies and some of the requirements for a program in the course, but they also ensure that we're able to um, take our master and development course spaces and populate them into live course spaces, which is really key. Um, There's a lot of detail and technical experience that's required for that. I also work at least when I'm um, in a course development cycle, when I'm building a course from scratch or revising a course, I work with a team of professionals um, with our multimedia folks who help uh, design and, and innovate some new exciting ideas for our videos or uh, whether we wanted to do a podcast or we wanted to, um, you know, create our own um, graphic design elements and course assets. Uh, So there's a whole team of multimedia folks that I work with. I also talk a lot to our user experience team, which includes um, not only user experience and technologists, but it also includes our accessibility team. And they ensure that I'm developing um, all of those course assets that I might be creating with our multimedia team uh, to ensure that they're uh, providing universal design and are accessible to all of our learners. So uh, they're also just a wonderful group to work with. I, I also need to point out that we work with an editing team and a copyrights team. These folks ensure that our um, our final text and our content and is all consistent, but it also meets high quality um, design standards that we've established across our design shop. Um, we also are often challenged uh, when we're walk- working with a course author or a subject matter expert. They might recommend a some course materials or text that they'd want to incorporate into uh, the design of the course. And sometimes uh, these things we need to figure out the licensing and how we can host them or not host them on our servers. Uh, So the copyright team really helps us navigate a lot of those challenging waters. Um, So there's there's quite a, there's a lot of people that we work with and and they're all, um, you know, incredibly helpful and and really try to, round off the, the approach that we take into a course design. Um, and, and I think everyone brings their own um, unique perspective. And, and ultimately, uh, with that, we get a lot of diversity and some unique opinions and unique um, consultation, which really just provides a much better final product. So we've talked about people. Um, I'm curious about two things, because I think this, this all fits together in, in, a, in a very specific way, at least when it's working well. I want to talk about the, the tools, the technologies 
both the ones that you use to sort of stay organized throughout the development process, particularly given that there's all these different people in different roles that are contributing to the process, um, what those tools are that you use to stay organized and get this work done, what some of the tools are that you might be using on a regular basis to achieve certain um, learning design, learning designs, um, you know, to, to support your pedagogical ideas. Um, and then also, you know, I think what, what the thing that ties people that you just talked about and the technologies that I'm kind of asking about here ties them together as processes um, and, and, you know, what, and, and the success of that integration and all, of all these different parts to some extent relies on good processes. So could you, could you tie all those things together a little bit and talk about tools and processes? That's a, I know it's sure. a, a large question. <laughs> there is a, there's a lot there. Um, so I think when I look at things, I really look at it from a systematic point of view. And I, I often refer to it as a learning landscape or a learning ecosystem. I think as instructional designers, we really sit as trying to be a, a steward of that as far as what technologies we're going to um, incorporate, not in our, not only in our day-to-day practice, but also within our course designs. Um, ultimately, we, we look f- to advocate for all, whether we're advocating for the instructor and the instructor workload. Um, ultimately, we're always looking at the student experience as well, but It's also all of the folks that I mentioned previously and how they fit into the system. Um, So I I feel like in my toolkit, uh, you know, theoretically, I'm always working on solving problems. And these things usually often um, have, you know, require me to work in an iterative design uh, process. And so... Uh, often in my process, uh, the way it typically works is the course author will provide me with um, the first lesson or two of, of how they feel the, the course should should flow and should begin. And this has been um, in a process of, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's a very collaborative process. So we go back and forth on, on what this is going to look like. So once I receive uh, that content, I start sharing that information with, uh, with the team members. So uh, the, the tools that I quite often use is just a word processing system and uh, commenting features back and forth until we, we finalize what that first um, lesson plan is going to look like. And then I start integrating and building it into our um, ICMS and then also integrating that, which has an LTI into our Canvas learning management system. So I'm very um, rehearsed and, and, and I feel like I'm an expert working in those environments, whether it's um, with our content management system or within our um, learning management system. I need to understand all of the settings and the nuances and how to toggle things on and off, um, depending on the experience that we're trying to create. Uh, so those are ultimately my, my first <laughs> tools of the trade is really understanding that these ecosystems that we work in. Um, but ultimately I, I look for ways to try to keep things integrated and um, to help me with, 
my project management to help me with my communication. Um, obviously, when I'm working with a, a creative team uh, behind me, I need to have really good organized communication. I um, heavily lean upon different tools, uh, whether it's email or instant messaging. Um, I'm also using other tools to help me kind of create prototypes and visuals. Uh, so those things are, um, you know, having these, these visuals often help the course author start to see that this Word document is coming to life. So in this process, um, we take it, I, I start building it out, I'm, I'm gathering feedback and some new ideas from uh, the team that supports the course development. And then I start building it into the course environment because at that point, it really serves almost as a prototype or a blueprint for the course author to see how this is gonna really fit and flow and what the theme of it will look like. Um, so I've really tried to you know, include a multimodal media enrichment. I look at ways that we can include social interaction. Um, I have to consider the asynchronous functionality to ensure that all of these things are coming together. Um, but it, I have to understand that adopting any technology in our courses, I need to ensure that we have the infrastructure to support the teaching and the learning that's that's going to take place in those delivery tools. Uh, so my delivery tools are, are quite often very um, vanilla in their approach. They, they seem very simple, but there's a lot of thought and effort before I um, select and choose which technology is going to be um, utilized whether it's in the so, course or in my own business processes. Right. I'm, and I'm curious. And one of the, the, the reasons that I'm asking these things and trying to paint this picture is because, you know, depending on what, what, what program you're going through as you're sort of training to be an instructional designer or going into corporate training or one of these similar fields is that the, there's certain aspects about the environment, the context of within you, within which you work, that impact the 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 teaching and learning in in interesting ways. So I'm curious if you can reflect on the extent to which you know the team structures, the processes, the tools that you use shape the the way that I look at this is you might have, you might have these conversations sort of early on with your subject matter expert um, about what you want to do with this course. And you have these sort of big aspirational ideas about pedagogy and how students learn. And you've got your learning theory um, and you understand how the human brain works to some extent. And, and you, and you kind of bring to bear all of these skills. And particularly if you're a new instructional designer, you're going to have this sort of pretty pure idea about how this all works and, and maybe be a little unprepared for the messy reality of how it does work actually in practice. But I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how the, the team structures and the tools and the, um, the processes and the, you know, the other limitations and constraints that you have on your day-to-day -day professional life impact these pure pedagogical logical ideas such that the end product is different than maybe what you maybe originally thought of when you started the whole process. I mean, the appropriateness of a tool really depends on 
how it supports the alignment of the learning objectives and then also the context in which it's being used. And I think, um, you know, as course designers, we really have to assess the tool or technology to leverage the assessment, the pedagogy, communication, um, and trying to be inclusive to our learner population. And I think, you know, we often say that technology is advancing faster than we know how to, to deal with it. I think a lot of times when we talk about in inclusive, we also need to consider the cost barriers and the oversight of some of these technologies. Um, and, and obviously, universal design is also another linchpin on, on how we, we assess and vet um, what to adopt. I think um, often in distance education specifically, it's not always the primary market or function for a lot of the technologies that we choose. Um, and so we need to take that into consideration. And I, I also think, um, and we're kind of fortunate here at, at Penn State, is that um, it's always good to make thoughtful and scalable deliberate recommendations as, as you start choosing these, these tools and technologies to help with your, your course um, product and then also your process. And so um, whenever I'm working with this design team, we're, also, we're usually trying to work within the guidelines and protocols of our institution. And um, a lot of times, if there is an enterprise architecture in place to enable us to make those strategic decisions, um, those, those tools are typically more secure. Um, they typically afford us with more technical support, <laughs> quality assurance, and training if, if those are necessary. Uh, so I think with, this, with um, the recent rollout of the Microsoft um, Office 365 applications have really helped us um, as far as a, a design shop and as far as our um, course designs uh, with a whole new set of solutions for um, communication and, and uh, delivery and collaboration. So, you know, as a team, we're always um, communicating in Microsoft Teams or we're using tools like SharePoint um, and a lot of the online applications to to help us, um, you know, ensure that there's transparency and that we're that we're collaboratively working on a unified goal and outcome. But a lot of those tools and applications can also be embedded into our course designs as well. So anytime that there's, um, you know, like a new LTI that the university has approved, those things really start to prioritize themselves as as possible solutions <clears throat> and are often more scalable for us um, as a usually not only in our course designs, and I don't want to look at them as just these siloed things that happen in a vacuum, but I, I want to say that when we choose a tool, we also look at something that how does this tool fit across the program? So it's getting back to that idea of working in this ecosystem or landscape and holistically making decisions um, to ensure that there's consistency across the program. Um, it helps at least with the implementation and the adoption of the faculty. It also helps with the students logging in. So it's not just one other account that they have to create just for this one course, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but to ensure that it's an account that they create that hopefully will be something that will be used throughout their entire um, academic uh, career, at least in, in that particular program. So, so 
So it sounds to me like there's there's sort of a it's a I don't know if you if the right metaphor is a double edged sword, but <clears throat> I, I think that to me it, what it sounds like you're saying is to some extent you need to select technologies that appropriately support your your um, your pedagogical ideas, um, and in that if you do select the right technologies, um, you they're they're going to be there to really support what you're trying to do, not um, not limit you in any way if you're if you're being smart and, and, and evaluating and finding the right tools. The flip side of that, and this is sort of the interesting part, is the reality of working in any sort of larger institution is that there are certain <coughs> there are certain um, efficiencies or values or like you said the the support the IT support that exists centrally from the university where if you do use something that wasn't quite the right wasn't quite the tool that you wanted. Um, but it's the enterprise sort of centrally managed thing. There's advantages to using that instead. So, so to some extent, you know, pick the tools that are right for the job, um, but also pick the tools that are going to enable you to do your job really effectively. And, and sometimes in those cases, you might want to make certain concessions about your pedagogy in order to bring bring the maybe a tool that's not a perfect fit in. And, and this sort of ties into a little bit um, because either direction that you go there, um, you, you're always going to be finding some short, some of these tools falling short of what you're trying, what you really want to do or your, your biggest and most interesting ideas for a particular course design. Um, I'm wondering if you could really briefly reflect on your thoughts. And, and, and as you know, this is a sort of a hobby horse of mine, um, innovation, but what, what role does innovation play? How much time do you think about taking an innovative approach to something and how much time do you spend doing innovations so that you're prepared to, you know, to make really interesting, um, you know, enable really interesting choices in terms of the experiences you're creating for students. I mean, Innovation is is constantly in our mind. I, I think a lot of it is obviously technology driven, um, and so I think with innovation, especially as an instructional designer, our you know we're really in the position to make complex decisions to very ill structured problems. So problems that do not have a one size fits all answer. So we're constantly having to. Um, be on the edge of our seat. We're constantly having to keep an eye and, and get a pulse on what's happening um, in multiple uh, communities, whether that's uh, technology related, whether it's policy related, um, you know, and really just kind of getting an idea of, of what, what these trends are as they're coming, um, coming out. And so, you know, we see a lot of conversations recently about um, artificial intelligence and learning analytics and how to incorporate, um, you know, augmented reality and virtual reality into our classes. And though these are all really exciting technical innovations, we also have to sit back and scale back an idea of how can we start to, um, you know, get, get on board with this new idea and is this something that we can incorporate into our course designs and then going back down like how does this um change our processes how does what does this do to um 
you know, the learning experience that we're trying to design to create. So I, I feel like where I sit as an instructional designer is I'm very research driven. I spend a lot of time trying to keep up with academic research, um, also, you know, white papers and informal research to see what's constantly changing and happening in the field and who the key players are and, and um, you know, how can I learn from these and, and possibly develop my own framework or, or my own recommendations. Um, so I feel like I'm always studying. I feel like I'm a constant learner. <laughs> and, and innovation, I think, is, is just... Um, also, if, if we can bring an innovative tool into the course, we, I, I always recommend trying to do a small pilot before scaling it up um, and really trying to get an understanding of what the student perceptions are, the instructor's perceptions of it. Um, and so, you know, we need to decide that if we're going to adopt it's, um, a new innovative uh, theory or framework or tool, you know, how is this how is this going to um, fit in with our goals and if it's if it's something that's scalable as well so um, innovation really i think is is key to in keeping the engagement and it's it's constantly helping us stay on top of of um, our field so it's something certainly i i, I assume you would agree with this that um is a required part of your job. It's it's something that you deliberately carve time out, you know, on a on a, on a weekly basis to be thinking about and re, like you said, researching and maybe evaluating tools and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I I think as instructional designers, we need to be adaptive and and personalize those approaches. So um, it's definitely one of those those hats that I mentioned at the, at the beginning of our conversation is that we wear many hats and one of them is, is staying on, on top of innovations and technology and, and, and consulting and recommending, um, you know, new solutions to, um, our faculty, to our teams that we work with, um, and see if it's, you know, maybe a, a new space that we also want to get involved in and see if there's a way that we can also contribute to the growth of this, this um, innovative approach within the field. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me today. I, I think that this is a really interesting perspective that many people will find valuable. Yes. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.